Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. And welcome, everybody, back to another episode of the Animals to the Max podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today. Today, we are going to talk about snake bites and what to do if you are bit by a venomous snake. Now on the show, I have a great guest. This was actually the first podcast he has ever done. So I feel like we have the exclusive interview with my guest, Thad Bowen. He is a firefighter paramedic and also works part-time at the Alligator Adventure Park in North Myrtle Beach in South Carolina. And Thad actually specializes in treating venomous snake bites using anti-venom. He actually made headlines almost a year ago when he saved somebody who was bit by a venomous gaboon viper. Now, if you aren't familiar with gaboon vipers, they are a deadly, deadly snake. And most people who are bit by a gaboon viper do not survive. And Thad goes into the story on how he actually helped this patient survive a gaboon viper bite. Now, I honestly had a lot of questions regarding anti-venom. I do not house any venomous snakes and I don't have any animals where I need anti-venom on hand. So to be honest, I was really curious. I am just, you know, all ears, honestly, learning how anti-venom works. Where do they make it? How long does a patient have? You know, if you are bit by a venomous snake, like how long does it take the anti-venom to take effect? We also go into what to do if you are bit by a venomous snake. And I ask him all the questions. You know, I say, listen, what happens if you are isolated in an area and you don't have cell service? What do you do? Thad goes into what to do to save your life and what not to do. This is an insightful interview. It's springtime right now in the United States and people are getting outside and they are encountering backyard wildlife and that also includes venomous snakes. So how can we learn to coexist with them? We need to be filled with knowledge and we need to be prepared and we need to know what to do if something happens. So like I said, great information and insight and value in this podcast. With that said, before we get started, I encourage you as always to rate and review the show wherever you listen to the show. We are climbing up the charts in iTunes. Thank you so much. I think last we looked, we were number 30 for nature in the world on iTunes, which is just, I can't even wrap my mind around it. So that's amazing. And that's because of you. And by rating and reviewing the show, it just pushes the show out to more people. And also recommending the show to a family member, a friend, anyone who is interested in animals. I'd really appreciate it. I also encourage you to join us for the after show. And that is just by joining our Patreon page. All you have to do is head on over to patreon.com slash animals to the max. You can join for just $10 a month. You guys, that's like, what, two Starbucks coffees? That's like a meal at Subway. A month, you get access to exclusive after show interviews. And this after show interview with Thad, we actually talk about what it's like bottle raising two hyenas. Yeah, I know, completely off topic from the gaboon viper bite and snake bites, but I was fascinated to learn what it was like, you know, bottle raising hyenas. I mean, that's interesting, right? And hyenas are one of my favorite animals. So anyway, join us there for the after show to listen to the complete interview. But with that said, let's get to it. Thad, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Corbin. I'm so excited that you're here today. And we actually had a, a listener 
actually recommend you as a guest on the show. That that's that's pretty crazy. I would have never thought that I would get invited on the show. Yeah, and they sent me a news article about how you treated somebody who suffered from a Gaboon Viper Bite, one of the deadliest snakes, and I thought, oh my goodness, that sounds like the perfect person to have on the show, because I'm so fascinated with, what do you do if you're bit by a venomous snake, and I just, I want to hear all about it. Yeah, so um, it was actually be a year this Saturday um, that we had got a call for a Gaboon Viper bite up in Wilmington, North Carolina, which is about an hour and a half north of us. Um, I work for the Myrtle Beach Fire Department. Um, I'm a paramedic there. Um, I have trained with Venom One, which is in Miami-Dade, their fire rescue. Um, they house the largest Venom supply in the world, um, in the country. Um, and I've done a lot of training with them and beings that I work at Alligator Adventure. Um, we have a lot of venomous snakes there so we keep anti-venom on property there which is mainly in case a staff member gets bit but we do um end up sending it out when there is another bite um so that friday night i was at the fire department i got a call from venom one actually because they know that we're closer to them and he said hey i've got a gaboon viper bite in wilmington and can you help them out and so it just went from there Wow. And, but Gaboon Vipers, they're native to Africa. So how did we get a Gaboon Viper in, what is it, North Carolina? Yeah, it was in North Carolina. Um, I can't get into many details about that because of the patient's privacy, obviously. Sure. Um, but he he was, he was working with the snake and the snake um, ended up getting him on his hand. Um, it broke a barrier between him and the snake when he was... Um, Obviously, I think he was cleaning it, and it broke the barrier and, and grabbed his hand, unfortunately. Oh, my God. So this is someone who had it in a private collection? Yes. Wow. Oh, my goodness. And so let's talk about that. People who are bit by Gavoon Vipers, do they usually survive? Um, it, it, we did some consulting with some people in Africa when he got bit because this was a, a very severe bite. Um we can get into the details of that here in just a bit, but um, most people in Africa, um, from what we were told, they receive up to 10 vials of antivenom because that's all they can afford. And either that or they go to the witch doctor for treatment, and then um, they normally go home, and unfortunately they do die from the bite usually. Oh, my God. So this is just – this is this is a deadly bite. This man is lucky to be alive. Yeah, the, the Gaboon is um, the second highest venom-yielding snake in the world next to the um, to the King Cobra. Um, they have the largest fangs of any snake out there, and they're the fastest striking snakes out there. So they, they come from the jungles of Africa, say the Congo, and, you know, they're a very heavy-bodied snake, and when they bite something, they've got to bite and hold it and get that venom in there quick so they can immobilize their prey so it doesn't get away from them. Yeah, and it's interesting you said they're really fast strikers because if you see them, they look like these chubby these chubby snakes, right? They're always, you know, these fat, yeah. heavy-bodied snakes. Yeah, they look like a big slug laying there, and you wouldn't think that they could strike that fast, but they're in, I mean, lightning fast lightning fast and it just probably happened so quick how long was it from the bite to when um he received care from you like can we get like a time a, a timeline on this 
so he he um he decided that he was going to go and lay down he felt like he was going to be a burden on somebody so he kind of delayed his care which actually put us behind the eight ball but that's okay um i got the call probably 10 o'clock at night i spoke with the attending physician in the emergency room and they had actually um he was under the trauma service care at the hospital there which is not a good thing because they wanted to do a fasciotomy right away which is cut his arm to release the pressure in his arm and we're like no it doesn't work like that we you need to get him anti-venom um so i was able to go to alligator venture pack up the anti-venom um met the helicopter at our hospital here and the helicopter flew it to wilmington and they were able to start that overnight and then the next morning um i ended up going to get more anti-venom and going to Wilmington to actually assess the patient myself. Um, they had never treated a bite like this. Um, so uh, myself and our medical control doctor who, who specializes in toxicology here in Myrtle Beach, who were very fortunate to have Dr. Lark, he, um, you know, between us and, and the team up there, they were very receptive to whatever we told them to do for this patient because obviously you don't see that in the United States that often. Yeah. So, okay. So this guy is just lucky to be alive. Absolutely. When, um, when I got up there the following morning, um, he was on a ventilator, um, black and blue from heads to where this venom, um, the hemotoxic venom was basically digesting him inside out. Um, he was on, um, three different blood pressure medicines, trying to keep his blood pressure above his um, top number above 90. And his heart rate was in the 150s, 160s. That's where he was in shock, um, trying to compensate for the bite. Um, so we just kept giving him anti-venom. And also they ended up giving him a lot of blood products as well to help replenish that blood that he was losing um, from bleeding out so bad. Oh my goodness. Okay, so how many doses of antivenom did this man receive? Overall, he received 44 vials of antivenom over a 7-day period. Um we would go we would get better and then we would drop back down. It was a roller coaster ride for about 7 days um and then he um finally took that turn after day 7 and you know, he was on dialysis his kidneys had stopped functioning and um, we spoke to um, Dr. Nick Brandenhoff from California who goes to um, Guinea all the time in Africa to treat snake bites and he was a huge resource to us and um, from what he's gathering and what he's seen in the past um, it's going to be one of the one of the worst viper bites in the world that has actually survived um, he spent over two months in the hospital, um, had a lot of rehab to do. Um, he did lose three fingers. Um, he lost his pinky, his ring finger, and his middle finger on um, one of his hands from the bite. Um, they just naturally fell off from the from the venom effects. Really? So, Thad, I'm just, I am not that... I guess, uh, well-educated on anti-venom. And I mean, I obviously know what it does, but can we get more in depth? Like how does anti-venom help the, the patients who have been bit by a venomous snake? Absolutely. So, um, well, I'll, I'll start kind of from the beginning, you know, um, 
we don't get our anti-venom for the exotic snakes in this country. Um, we have alligator adventure has to be licensed by the FDA to house it. Um, anybody that houses a foreign anti-venom has to get an IND number. And then after that, you have to get permits through the, um, USDA, um, the APHIS, the animal plant health inspection agency to import it. And most of that stuff is imported from the country of origin. And the way they make that there is they, uh, most of it's horse-based, um, except for some in the U.S., which we can get into in a little bit. But they inject straight venom into horses, large, you know, large animals. Horses build antibodies up over time, and they pull that blood back out of the horses, and they spin those antibodies off. Then they freeze-dry it, and that's what makes the antivenom. Wow, interesting. You know, um, and it, it varies in cost. Um, some stuff is cheap. Um, the stuff from Thailand that you get, which is a very good product. Um, I've actually been to the Thai Red Cross several times when I've been um, in Thailand and know some of the people there that produce that and the veterinarians that, you know, work on the snakes that they use for milking processes. And um, that's $80 a vial now. And then, you know, some of it's thousands of dollars. Um, some of the stuff from Australia is $2,000 a vial. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned in Africa how a lot of times people die from Gaboon Viper Bites because they can only afford, a, you know, a few vials. And so, I mean, so it definitely helped for this man to be in the United States. Absolutely. And he was fortunate that, you know, that he had an anti-venom supply close to him. Um, there's other places in the country. You've got, you know, the Kentucky Reptile Park up in Kentucky. You've got Miami-Dade and, and most zoos that house venomous snakes keep the anti-venom for those snakes. What are your thoughts on people keeping venomous snakes as, as pets in private collections? Um, if you... I, I'm not against it. If you have the proper training and the proper permits, um, you know, one of the big things to take in consideration is work on getting your own antivenom. It's not an easy process, but it's not an impossible process either. It, it can be done. I know some private keepers that, that have their own antivenom to take to the hospital. And one of the keys on that is you need to, you know, you need to make friends with your doctors at the hospital, your local hospital. They need to know what's going on so that they're, you know, they're prepared in case of an emergency. Because if you come in there with some foreign anti-venom, they're going to probably look at you crazy if you haven't made a relationship um, prior to an accident happening. So you said make your own anti-venom. So are you saying actually to like milk your venomous snakes? Is that what you're referring to? No, no, I'm sorry. They, they, I, a private keeper acquire. It's acquire. It's okay. not hard. You know, it's it's hard to get with the permitting and everything, but you know, it's not an impossible thing to do. You know, you can do it with a little bit of work. And like I said, I know some private keepers that do have their own anti-venom, and they're very responsible people for you know getting their own anti-venom. And it, you know, it's a very expensive thing. I mean, it ex some stuff has expiration dates of three years some stuff has expiration dates of you know five years it just depends on the product and you know when it expires you know some some people won't use the expired stuff now in our case in wilmington we had to use expired anti-venom and the doctors were willing to do that because we were running low and you know it was still in good shape and it had been you know temperature controlled and 
you know, we had to use expired antivenom on him. And the antivenom is specific to that species of snake. Um, the stuff that we used on him, um, and you know, there is specifics depending on what type of antivenom, but there's also a lot of, um, the snake specific one would be a monovalent. Um, but there's also a lot out there that are polyvalents that cover a large, um, a large variety of snakes. Like, um, the one in Africa, they make the Samar polyvalent, um, that covers a lot of the African snakes. And then, um, there's a newer African antivenom out there that, that we're housing now that comes um, from Spain. It's made by InnoSerp and it's called Pan Africa. And that's kind of a new and upcoming one that a lot of people are starting to stock now instead of the Samar. Um, the Samar comes in a liquid form and I'm not so sure about the usage of that after the expiration date. Um, the freeze dried stuff, um, they actually did a study in Thailand, Corbin, where they used some King Cobra antivenom that was over 25 years old, and it worked like the day it was made. Really? And, okay. That's so, okay. Yep. That's so fascinating. Um, that's, that's what one of the... Yeah, I mean, it's... And, you know, the, the key is is when somebody gets bit is knowing knowing the species. We that That's where the investigative work can come in if you don't know the species or they're found unconscious or, you know, if they've got a big collection or it's a zoo with a big collection. So, um, but luckily a lot of the polyvalents, you, you got some wiggle room there to be able to treat them with a polyvalent and most likely, you know, it would work. So how long does it take for the first dose of antivenom to take effect? That that would just, you know, that depends on the severity of the bite and the patient. You know, every, every bite is different. Um, every person is different. Everybody reacts to the venom differently. They react to antivenom differently. Um, you know, I, I've seen some snakes in the U.S. When I was in Miami with Miami-Dade, we had some cottonmouth bites and um, they use Crofab, which is the one that's approved for use in the U.S. that most hospitals have in uh, areas that have snakes. And that, that took effect pretty quickly. I, I was able to see that take effect pretty quickly. And um, I've also, I, I've treated more than one venomous bite. This isn't the first exotic bite. Um, myself and Dr. Lark have, you know, we've done a, a, a green mamba bite. We've done a Pope's tree viper we've done several cobra bites um and we've also done a lot of native snakes up into including you know some pretty um i've had two pretty nasty eastern diamondback bites um in this area and you know it just depends on the person how quick they react to it but the quicker you can get it in the quicker it's going to work um in the medical field we say with the heart somebody's having a heart attack on um, that, you know, time is muscle with the heart attack. Time is tissue when it comes to a snake bite, especially if it's a hemotoxic venom bite. Yeah, let's go into that. So a gaboon viper or a snake bites you. What immediately happens once you're bit by a snake? It depends on the type of snake and the type of venom that you're getting. You know, if you gaboon, you're getting a lot of the hemotoxic venom there. Um, if you get bit by... You know, a lot of the cobras, it's a neurotoxic venom, which is going to shut your respiratory system down. You know, your taipans and your mambas, you know, most of those are um, those are neurotoxic snakes. And, you know, that 
to me, that's none of them are good, but um, the neurotoxic to me is an easier manageable bite because you're not going to have necessarily the long-term effects that you're going to have with um, with the necrosis and all that from you know snakes like a gaboon or you know another common pet out there is the monocle cobra from Asia. Um, that one has neurotoxins and um, hemotoxins in it, and you see a lot that that's very common out there in the U.S. is the monocle, and that can be a real nasty bite too, and you can have some very, very long-term effects from that with wound care and all of that. So for listeners, what's the difference between a neurotoxin and a hemotoxin? So a hemotoxin is, is going to um, – the hemotoxins are going to um, digest your they're, – they're digesting you, basically. Um, that's what's going to cause the necrosis on your skin, and that's the simple way to – and then the neurotoxins um, are going to – just like it says a neurotoxin, it's going to affect different parts of your brain, which most of them affect the part that's going to shut your respiratory system down, and um, you're definitely – most of the time going to have to be put on a ventilator for that and get that anti-venom. And I've seen someone that's been bit by a green mamba that was put on a ventilator and um, was very symptomatic. And within six hours, they were awake and they walked out of the hospital against medical advice the following morning. Wow. What is, in your experience, the success rate of using anti-venom? That's kind of a kind of a no-brainer, you know. Look at our our boy from Wilmington that, mm-hmm. you know, he got forty-four vials of anti-venom, and you know he's he's alive today because of that and some pretty aggressive treatment, you know, with with the anti-venom and the blood products, you know. I think that's what kept him going because that I would I'll honestly tell you that Saturday morning when I went up there and I spoke to his family and everything else and. I didn't think he was honestly going to make it. I thought, you know, that was going to be it right there. But luckily, we worked hard as a team between us and the doctors at the hospital there and got him through it. And he's back to work, living a normal life now. Does he still have the Gavoon Viper? I'm not sure on that. I, You know, I, I didn't keep up on that. Um, I was just part of the medical team. Um, so I'm not sure if he still has the snake or not. Okay. And, you know, spring is, a, actually spring is here in the States as you and I sit and record this. Weather's getting nicer. People are getting outside. And unfortunately, people are having interactions with wild animals, including venomous snakes. What are some tips to help people as they are going outside, outdoors, enjoying the weather, walking around? Do you have any tips to protect them from uh, being bit by a venomous snake? Yeah, one of the biggest thing is know your know your surroundings. You know, um, be on if you're hiking in the woods or whatever. Yes, they can camouflage very well, but know know your surroundings. And if if you were to get bit, um, try to take a picture of it. Everybody's got a cell phone nowadays. Don't try to catch the snake. You know that was back in the old days. Everybody would try to catch it or kill it and then bring it to the hospital with. I'll tell you, the hospital doesn't want a snake in the emergency room. A picture nowadays would be great. Um, and remain calm. You know, remain calm. Call 911. Um, tell them that you've been bit by a snake and get treatment in the emergency room, and they'll monitor you for signs and symptoms. And um, 
our state park here in Myrtle Beach um, is infested with copperheads. Um, we we get a lot of copperhead bites out of there this year. Um, I was speaking to Dr. Lark this morning, and you know it's not even April yet, and he's already treated two copperhead bites this year already. And I think one, if not both of those, came out of our state park right here at Myrtle Beach. Wow. Okay. What if you're in an area that does not have cell reception and you are isolated? What are your best tips if you're bit by a venomous snake? Well, the the number one key, like I said, is is to stay calm. Um, because if you if you get excited or you know you're trying to run, you're you're just spreading that venom through your body. Okay. Um, you don't use a tourniquet. Uh, most almost all all of our snakes in the U.S. are pit vipers with the exception of the coral snake. So um, if you place a tourniquet on there, you're isolating all of that venom to one area, which is not a good idea. So tourniquets are not recommended. Um, don't Obviously, don't try to suck the venom out or let your buddy try to suck the People venom out think of you that. either. That doesn't yeah. work either. Yeah, uh, yeah they, they, they think it works, but it's been proven scientifically that it doesn't. They, the biggest key, again, is stay calm, try to get to where you've got cell service or, you know, you can get some help and seek medical attention um, then. Okay. So do not like isolate the venom. Don't like wrap, you know, don't wrap your arm and try to isolate it. That's, that's, that's a no, no. Yes. No, no, no eight, no tight ace wraps, no tourniquet, nothing like that. Okay. So just try to slowly not panic and get to immediate help. So absolutely. And I I know out in your you're out west and you have a lot of rattlesnakes out there and i'm sure there's a lot of people hiking in some very remote areas and like i said you know just stay calm try to get to where you can get some help and move on from there that how many snake bites occur do you know in the united states or globally by chance I don't know the current statistics. I would have to look that up. I'm sorry. I, I just oh, no I haven't looked it up lately what the current statistics are. No worries. I mean, but do do a lot of people die from snake bites in the United States? There's not a high death rate in the U.S. Um, mo- most of the snakes in the U.S., you know, they're, they don't have high death rates. Um, people can get very sick, you know. Like I said, we, we, we have the Eastern Diamondback here that goes down into Florida, and that's the largest venomous snake in the U.S., and that snake has a very high venom yield, too, and, and that, that snake can make you very sick as well. But um, we, we've had two severe ones in our area that I've helped treat, and with the proper anti-venom, you know, they, they pull through very well. Thad, do you like venomous snakes? Um, Yeah, I I, I work with them. Um, that's one of my jobs at the park is um, I do take care of venomous snakes. Um, they, they serve their purpose. Um, they're there for a reason. And, um, you know, if you see them, just my, my, my advice is leave them alone. You know, they, they, like I said, they have a purpose to serve and they're venomous for a reason. Okay. And, you know, on the, I mean, cause I'm always doing, you know, educational talks and online presentations or stuff that, you know, in person, I tell people snakes are great and we need to conserve them and they're great for our ecosystems. Is that hard living in a place like North Carolina where you have a state park infested with copperheads? Is it hard to kind of change people's perceptions about snakes? Yeah, actually it's, 
South Carolina. Um, oh, sorry. But, Excuse um, me. Most people want, you know, the old saying, uh, the only good snake out there is a dead snake. So, you know, some education is the key, you know, and like I said, you know, venomous snakes serve a purpose. You know, they're they're going to eat rodents and everything else and got to try to just educate people. And, you know, that I tell people, if you see a snake, leave it alone or, or you know, call call somebody that knows what they're doing to remove it. Yeah, how do you get people to, like, I was going to say, to have them in their backyards? I feel like it'd be such a hard sell. And it's hard for me, too, like, living in Idaho with, you know, we have rattlesnakes. And I, we don't have, that's our only venomous snake here. We don't have, you guys have a lot more venomous snakes back east. But, like, how do you convince somebody to keep them in their yard? Do, do, do you have any tips? No, you know, that's that's not an easy one, Corbin. They, people want them gone. And, um you know, one of my things usually about snakes too, and I'm sure you've heard this and all the education you've done is a snakes in your yard because there's a prey item they're looking for. Um, sometimes it's just easy to get rid of the, you know, if you've got moles or voles, you know, that's what snakes are after. And they, you know, sometimes got to get rid of their prey. And then if there's nothing for them to eat, they'll move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always tell people, it's like when you see a snake, say thank you you know it's like you have a natural free pest control they're better than any trap you know <laughs> they're, they're helping you out oh a- a- absolutely you know like i said they're there for a reason they're they're after prey if they're in your you know they're around your area or you know if you've got an old shed or an old barn you know if it's got rats and mice in it they're there to eat the rats and mice and get them out mm-hmm Mm-hmm. So do you respond to calls, I'm assuming, with venomous snakes in people's yards working at Alligator Adventure Park? I, I don't. Uh, um, I have, you know, if a friend or somebody calls me, we don't do relocation there. We we have a um, we have a local guy here that that's what he does for a business is um, nuisance wildlife, um, you know, and we we have. 700 to 800 alligators at our park and wow. you know on a different topic we get so many calls about about nuisance alligators but um none of us are licensed trappers in the state of south carolina so unfortunately there's nothing we can do and the bad part corbin about south carolina if it is a nuisance alligator um it can't be relocated to us or anything. It is a state law that in South Carolina, if it's a nuisance alligator, it's got to be trapped. It's got to be euthanized. Oh, man. So, huh. I guess, and that's, so they so they can't go and live at the park. It's a law. They have to be euthanized. That is, that anything, I think it's anything over six foot has to be euthanized. And it, you know, it's, it's, it's a sad situation. Um, there is some people out there trying to change that right now. Um, but you know, I'll give you just an example, couple, I think it was last summer, actually, it was almost a 12 footer was crossing the road in the city limits of Myrtle beach. And, um, they came and got him and they euthanized him. And, you know, my thing on that is he got 12 foot for a reason. He lived his life. You know, he, he got that big for a reason. You know, why, why are you going to euthanize him for just, um, crossing the road? You know, they, they, they should allow them to be able to you know, come to the park and live their life out with us at the park. And, you know, Florida is that, you know, the trappers can take them to farms and everything else in Florida, but we're, we're working on that in South Carolina and hopefully it will get changed. Um, 
we got a lot of people that are on our side. So it's just a legislative thing that's got to be worked on over time. Well, you let me know if I can help in any way. If you have like a petition, I would love to push that out because I guarantee the majority of people want those alligators to live and not be euthanized. Yeah, you know, we, we have a lot of people that come from the north here in the south and, you know, they're not used to the alligators and, you know, they think the alligators are a nuisance or, you know, we've had some incidents here where, you know, alligators will kill a dog or something like that. But, you know, that, you know, just as well as I do, Corbin, if having alligators, that's their natural instinct. You know, if you've got a little dog by the side of the water, it looks like a raccoon or a possum. And, you know, that that's that's food to them. They're just doing what they do naturally. Yeah. And but what justifies is a problem alligator. Like, can anyone call and just they'll come and euthanize it? Like, I'm just God, that's terrifying to have people who don't who aren't from the area who just see an alligator and immediately call. And it's just like, oh, my God. Yeah, I'm almost positive. I don't quote me on this, but I think anything over six feet um, can be deemed a nuisance. Hmm. And then they they have to call the state and the state gives them a permit number. And then they have to call a, um, a licensed trapper through the state to come remove that animal. Um, you know, I don't know what the exact criteria are on that because like I said, I'm not a trapper. Don't want to be a trapper unless we can relocate them. Um, and one of the reasons that they stick behind that relocation and not relocating them is alligators have a huge homing instinct and you know they just don't um they don't want them coming back because they will go back to where they came from um they you know that that's just that homing instinct in them yeah even miles and miles huh yep you know so we at the park like i said you know we we we're not just venomous snakes we we do house a tremendous amount of venomous snakes and um you know but we you know we have alligators and many species of crocodiles and um we have a few mammals as you and i talked about um prior to coming on the air um so we're we're a pretty diverse diverse park um and i've I've been very fortunate to work with a lot of different animals over my career there yeah and i was gonna say speaking about your work at alligator adventure park what precautions do you take when you are working with the venomous snakes so um only a certain amount of us can work with venomous snakes you've got to have a lot of training to work with venomous snakes okay um we don't do any type of free handling there mm. um everything is done with you know hooks um just about everything we have there will hook um but you know if, if we have an issue we have tongs as well you know there's no opening cages with your hands you use the snake hook to open the cage um, and that's why, you know, we, we have the anti-venom at the park in case of a true accident happening. And like, I, I think I said earlier, you know, the anti-venom at, at a zoo is meant for the staff at the zoo. Um, you know, that's its primary purpose is to protect the staff in case of, of an emergency there. But, you know, we're very fortunate at alligator that the owner of the park is, um, we've kind of partnered up with the fire department where I work and we've kind of have our own little venomous response that, um, to Miami Dade in, in Florida. Um, and I can't 
put a shout out enough to the guys at Miami Dade. Uh, that, that Venom unit has been around for a long time, and I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for the training that those guys gave me down there and and the partnerships, you know. And like I said, if they if they know a bite is closer, they'll they'll call me and say, hey. Um, you're a lot closer. Can you get the anti-venom there instead of it having to be flown by airplane and take time from Miami? Um, so, you know, we have a, and we, one of the big things that we have at the park too is um, when they're working with venomous snakes in our, in our building, we have an alarm system with panic buttons all the way down on the wall um, in certain places on the walls in the back area. So if they get bit, they can hit the panic button which is going to set an alarm off. And then um, when they're working with the big pythons, um, they have to wear one of the necklaces, like I've fallen and can't get up necklaces that grandma would wear. Mm. Um, so if something was to happen with a big python, they can just push that button on the necklace and it'll set the alarm off as well. And we do the same thing with our large carnivores, um, our mammals. Um, they When they're in there servicing the yard, when they're locked up, they still have one of those necklaces on in case... Um, God forbid, in case an emergency was to happen, they would be able to notify somebody immediately. I've, you know, I've done uh, so many podcast episodes with keepers and I've been to many zoos, but I've never heard of them wearing like an actual like alert system. That's a great idea, actually. Yeah, and ours is set to, um, um, I've seen a lot of the alert systems at zoos, but mostly wall buttons. But we came up with the idea with wearing the necklaces, um, too, and um, when you push that button, it alerts all of our all of the managers. It's it sends us a text message of the location of where the button was pushed. Um, it'll tell you which button was pushed, and um, so that the proper people can respond to the emergency. Um, and it, it's I will say we're fortunate when you push that button, it's pretty instantaneous that I'm going to get a, or the management team there is going to get a text message letting them know that there's an emergency. Wow, that is so smart. I, that is that's great. I'm shocked more facilities don't do it. Maybe they do, but I don't know. I've never. I've like I said, I've been to a lot of zoos, a lot of behind the scenes stuff, and I've never. I mean, I've heard of the alarms. I mean, I've seen physically the alarms on the walls and stuff, but not that alert system like you know, like a necklace. I think that's an ingenious idea. Yeah, and it's you know, it's all tied into that same alarm system, and we just. We went when we had ours installed. We went to the local alarm company and I said, "Hey, this is what we're looking for. Can you do it?" And they were like, "Absolutely." And um, and like I said, we went further than just reptiles and um, all of our large mammals, our our dangerous large mammals that we have, which is a few. We only have cougars and hyenas, but um, both of those buildings have buttons in them as well. And we have the necklace, like I said, when they're cleaning the yards. Well, that's so smart. Well, Thad, we are uh, wrapping up our interview. Do you have any advice for anybody listening who wants to do what you do, become a paramedic who helps treat bites or maybe anyone who wants to work with venomous species? Yeah, um, you know, I got my start in the fire department um, at a young age, which I'm very fortunate. Um, I've got over 24 years in now with the fire department and I'm counting the months down so I can retire. Um, I can actually retire in October Congrats. and I'm hoping to take on a full-time, thank you. Um, I'm hoping to take on a full-time zoo career, um, at alligator adventure. I'm hoping to go on full-time there, um, in October. And, you know, I, I started out there as a lecturer where I did shows, edu 
educational shows and dead alligator feedings and over the years have just moved up and um you know now i coordinate all the anti-venom and um i help the veterinarian a lot i do a lot of procedures with the um, veterinarian and um pretty much do whatever the owner of the park asks me to do at this point yeah well that's awesome where can can people find you on social media um, I don't have a public page on social media. Um, it's Good just for my, you. It's, I have my personal page. So my personal page on social media, and I don't. The only thing I have actually is Facebook. I don't do Instagram or TikTok or mm-hmm. or nothing like that. But um, you know, if if there is an emergency, I can leave my contact information with you. And you know, if somebody's got a, a snake bite emergency and needs some advice, you know, I'm I'm there to help. And you know. We you have to kind of play a fine line because some doctors don't want to play nice with others. So it just depends on the situation of whether you know we can give advice and whether a doctor wants to accept that advice or not. Yes, well, and I will put the links in the show notes. Thad, will you join me for the after show because I want to ask you about bottle raising two hyenas because <laughs> that sounds like so much fun. Absolutely. Awesome. And listeners, if you want to join us for the after show, all you have to do is head on over to patreon.com slash animals to the max. And you could uh, hear Thad and I talk about, well, actually, I'm going to just hear Thad talk about what it's like bottle raising some hyenas. Let's head over to the show. Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends and family. Also, if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. It really helps me out. As always, if you have any guest suggestions, if you want to email me personally, head on over to CorbinMaxi.com. And if you haven't already, check out our social channels. You can follow me at CorbinMaxi on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll talk to you next time.